Good morning. Ready to talk about Jesus? <laughs> I'm Stephen, one of the pastors here on staff. So good to bring you the word this morning. Our college and career group just finished a four-week series on relationships called Chasing Love. The first week of the series focused on pursuing a relationship with King Jesus. We called it Chasing Jesus. One of the first things I asked our young adults to do was to be real with themselves for a moment. I said, where are you at with Jesus? And I ask you this morning, where are you at with Jesus? Let's be real. I used to ask my dad, where are you at with Jesus, Dad? And he would consistently and emphatically say, Stop asking me that, Stephen. Stop asking me that. I've been a good person. In my dad's eyes, being a good person and doing good deeds was good enough for him to be in right standing with God. Are you still running to Jesus? and believing in him, and pursuing a righteousness that is by faith alone? Or, you, or have you been trusting in your own good works to attain a right standing with God? Please pray with me. Almighty, gracious, heavenly Father, we need you. We need you this morning. Remind us that righteousness comes through faith alone in Jesus alone. Help us. Help me, Lord, to feed your people, to love your people. Help me, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Are you ready to receive this morning's message with great eagerness and examine the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true? Yes, let's get up to speed on what has tra transpired so far in the book of Romans. We see every Sunday on the big screen, Romans, gospel unity propels mission. In Romans chapter 1 through 4, we saw that through the gospel, God's righteousness to us is revealed. In chapters 5 through 8, the gospel reveals God's power to us to release us from the law and free us from slavery to sin so that we can now become slaves of righteousness. And Malachi preached through most of chapter 9, revealing to us that God's word has not failed and that God is sovereign over all creation, even us. Some good stuff. So some structure for this morning, my outline for Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, what should you expect? In verses 30 and 31, you'll see the glaring contrast in the way the Gentile and the Israelite pursued righteousness, or how they pursued a right standing with God. In the first part of verse 32, I'll highlight the reason why Israel did not attain a right standing with God. 
And we will conclude with the second half of verse 32 and all of verse 33, which will display that the stumbling stone is indeed none other than King Jesus. So our big idea, just in case you take notes, this would be something good to write down. Those who trust in themselves will stumble, but those who trust in Jesus will never be put to shame. Those who trust in themselves will stumble, but those who trust in Jesus will never be put to shame. The good news and the bad news. Verses 30 through 32. We'll start in verse 30. The good news, by pursuing a righteousness by faith, Gentiles have attained a right standing with God. Verse 30. Romans. What shall we say then? Paul is throwing us another rhetorical question to bring us the implications of what he has just previously said. What are we to conclude about what Paul just revealed to us in verses 25 through 29? That Gentiles, who were not God's people, are now God's people, while only a remnant of Israel will be saved? Is Paul really saying that Gentiles who did not seek a right relationship with God have now received right standing with God? Paul is saying, yes! Verse 30, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. I can just imagine an Israelite hearing these words from Paul. They would have their head tilted. Huh? Wait. What did he just say? Why would this be so astonishing to an Israelite, to a Jew? I got an answer. Turn with me to the book of Acts. Turn with me to the book of Acts. It's a good passage. Acts 10. Acts 10. Verse 34, if you have an ESV Bible, the heading of that section is Gentiles hear the good news. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. See that Peter is preaching the gospel, the good news. Verse 36, he's preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Go to verse 43, same chapter. To him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name, the name of Jesus. Now check this out, verses 44 and 45. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews who had believed in Jesus, the circumcised, who had come with Peter, 
were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So why would an Israelite find Paul's statement shocking? The Gentiles were not God's chosen people. They weren't even pursuing him. Yet they, the Gentile, attained a righteousness, a right standing with God that is by faith. Righteousness used here is a right standing with God, a position of righteousness because of Christ Jesus. The Gentile has received salvation by faith alone. Now that is good news. Is that good news? So maybe you're asking yourself, what is faith? I'm glad you asked that. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, you don't have to go there, verses one through three writes, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I love what Peter reminds us about Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen who? Jesus. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And verse 13 of that same chapter in 1 Peter, Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Such good news. Now I gotta give you the bad news, the tragic news, Israel's unbelief. The bad news, by pursuing a law of righteousness, Israel has not attained a right standing with God. Verse 31. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. The stark contrast as compared with the Gentile was that Israel strived to fulfill God's law in order to have a right standing with God. Tragically, they came way short of fulfilling that goal. They failed to keep the law. Why? Why did Israel not succeed in attaining a right relationship with God? Through the law, verse 32, because they did not pursue it by faith. But, but as if it were based on works. And Paul had just reminded us in chapter 3, verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Mm. So Paul goes on to remind us in chapter 7, verse 7, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, ceasing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of righteousness. I'm sorry, all kinds of covetousness. Produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The non-believing Israelites thought they could fulfill all righteousness. They missed what the law and the prophets pointed to. The coming Messiah who would fulfill all righteousness none other than King Jesus himself, Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus gives us insight to how this was going to play out on his Sermon on the Mount. I love the Sermon on the Mount. Our college and career got to go through it last year. Check out the Gospel of Matthew with me. We'll check out the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, you'll recall that Jesus came up the mountain and sat down to teach his disciples. Chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Israel stumbled over the one who came to fulfill the law. They stumbled over the one that was right in front of them. He was right there, right in front of them. So we had our community group last Tuesday night, and we talked a little about this passage, and I said, Jesus was right in front of them, and they missed him, and I I slapped my hands. I'm like, right there, right in front of them, and they just missed him. And someone from our group brings up how it reminded them of that inflatable punching bag with the sand on the bottom, that if you hit it, it just comes right back at you. Sorry, it's it's an analogy. They all break down. But anyway, you can't get rid of him. He's right in front of you. You keep hitting him. He's still there. 
By the way, if you're not in a community group and you want to get connected to one, please come and see me. <laughs> and you can talk about these things. All right, back to Jesus. Imagine for a second what is happening in the heart of King Jesus. The look, in his, the look on his face when he looked at his own people, Israel. His own people. The Israelites were the lost sheep. His people. His heart, I imagine, was like Paul's heart in Romans 9, in great sorrow and unceasing anguish. Jesus desired to feed his people Israel. And do you remember that little exchange with the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15? Still in the book of Matthew. Go ahead, cruise over to Matthew 15. The faith of the Canaanite woman. Verse 22 She was crying out to Jesus for mercy because her daughter was severely oppressed by a demon. And Jesus said to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she cries out all the more, Lord, help me. And Jesus says to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. Jesus was doing what had been predicted by the prophets. He was opening the door for the nations to receive salvation by faith alone in him alone. Yet Israel would grumble at his arrival and his message of salvation. I imagine a, I imagine a grumbling similar to that of Israel's ancestors, their forefathers, who grumbled in the wilderness, who grumbled at God as God delivered them out of their bondage to slavery in Egypt. We see in Luke 15 that the Pharisees and scribes are grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. I think that's what grumbling is. And Jesus goes on to tell them the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus said, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 Righteous persons who need no repentance. And in Luke 17, the Pharisees asked when the kingdom of God would come. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Right there, right in front of them. And Jesus in Luke 18 tells them another parable. I love this parable. Verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you 
that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give all, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Israelites were guilty of not seeing the rock of salvation that was smack dab in the middle of their path. It's also true about us. We know that God, we know that it is God who created all things and owns all things. Yet we still have this tendency to drift into self-reliance, a righteousness by works. Of course, we'd never say that out loud, that it is our own good deeds which will get us into a right relationship with God. But yet our flesh, the deceitfulness in our hearts is prone to say, look at me. Look at all the ways I contribute to the poor and those in need. Look at how much I volunteer. I get my hands dirty. Look at how much I pray and how many times I've been to the confession booth. Look at me. I never get in trouble. Look at me. I got baptized. I walked down the aisle. I raised my hand. I signed a card. I made a decision to follow Jesus. Look at me. I never get angry. Can I confess something to you? This is a safe place, right? You guys won't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone I told you this. I have said I will never do such and such a sin ever again. I have made that promise many times. You can ask my wife, Rebecca. She knows I fail. Some of you may have even signed a a contract with yourself to never look at porn, to never get angry, to never use foul language. In these moments of self-righteousness, we are trying to attain a right standing with God by our own good works, by promising to God that we'll be perfect. Our promises, they never last long, do they? Often we stumble, and if we're not careful, we can get dangerously close to justifying ourselves rather than looking to the one who justifies us. We can't be righteous enough to gain a right standing with God. We need an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves, a righteousness that comes from none other than King Jesus. None other than King Jesus. And please hear me, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being holy and seeking to be obedient to Christ. However, we have to go about it by trusting in Jesus first. And it is only by the power of his spirit who dwells in us that we can become slaves of righteousness. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Nothing in my hands I bring. 
simply to thy cross I cling. So the Israelites thought that by their pursuit of righteousness, they could gain a right standing with God. But they stumbled over Jesus. The Savior of the world was in their way, and they stumbled over Jesus. Christ, the stumbling stone and Savior. Those who don't believe in Jesus will stumble and fall. Verse 32, second half. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Who or what did Israel stumble over? Just in case you haven't been listening, Jesus. So there are theologians and others who would say that the law of righteousness is the stumbling stone, that that's the stumbling stone. But others, including myself, believe that Paul had Jesus in mind as the stumbling stone. Israel, by pursuing a righteousness as if it were based on works, stumbled over the stumbling stone. So here's a little illustration. Think of an Israelite running a race. They're running a race around a track, doing their best to run the greatest race of their life and, and striving to attain the prize of right standing with God. They're thinking, I can do this. I can do it all on my own. I've been working out seven days a week. I'm way faster than that Gentile sitting over there just watching me. Yet they're stumbling over a stone that is in their shoe. The stone that's always been there, in their shoe. Tragically, they fail to realize that it is a precious stone, a tested stone, a stone that would have carried them to the finish line. They continue to keep running with the rock in their shoe, making them stumble instead of trusting in Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength to carry them. On the other hand, the Gentile. He's watching the race. Of course, he's poor in spirit, can't run. He's in need of help and mercy. And he finds the stone near the track. He doesn't stumble over it. He can't but see it as precious and priceless and says, I'll bury the stone under the bleachers and sell everything that I can to buy the whole stadium. Just an illustration. Paul says that it was written in the prophets that the Israelites would stumble over the stumbling stone. Verse 33, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Paul, as he often does and will continue to do so, is going to back up what he says by going to the scriptures. He cites the prophet Isaiah to prove that Israel was destined to stumble on Jesus. Paul combines parts of Isaiah 28.16 and Isaiah 8.14 to help support his argument. Paul cites the first part of Isaiah 28.16. And Isaiah, behold, I am the one who has laid it as a foundation in Zion, a stone. And Paul weaves it with part of Isaiah 8.14. 
and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. So here's how the author of Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland, summarizes Paul's use of Romans, or Paul's use of Isaiah in Romans 9. In pursuing the law by works, Israel has tripped over a divinely placed stone in the middle of the path, as foretold in Isaiah's ancient prophecy. You'll also notice that Peter employs this same strategy, citing Isaiah in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, when speaking of Christ as a stone of stumbling. Peter says, verse 4, chapter 2, As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. The honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And some of us, we have stories of personal friends or personal stories of friends and families and neighbors who are stumbling over King Jesus. They say the Bible is beautiful. It's a literary masterpiece. It's beautiful poetry. It's like a piece of art. But divine? Inerrant? Nah. They call Jesus a great teacher and a great example of how one should live. But Jesus is God overall? Of creation? Eh, it's going a little too far. They fail to see the beauty of the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And verse 23 of that same chapter, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Jesus wasn't the object of Israel's faith. And Jesus will say to them on the day of judgment, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But Jesus won't turn away those who believe in him by faith alone. Those who believe in Jesus will never be put to shame. Verse 33, the last part. Paul refers again to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So roughly 10 years ago, I was struggling to prove to myself and others that I was worthy of Jesus. And I'm going to read to you a poem this poem helped me out during that time. I called it Stop Trying, Just Believe. 
I see an overflowing oasis calling me in the desert. This living water seems but a mirage and a wasteland full of illusions and dry bones. Seeking to please men first has only led to thirst. I want to take a leap of faith. I want to jump right in, but I fear man will judge my style. I cry out, hear my pleas for mercy that never cease. A gentle voice whispers, you of little faith, why do you doubt? I will never leave nor forsake you. Deceitful sin comes knocking down my door. I try not to let death in, but my flesh screams, God wants you no more. Falling to my knees, I hear sin crying out, oh please, give it up. My eyes well up with tears, more tears, more tears. A day with God feels like years. My vision blurred and ears ringing. A gentle whisper is still singing, follow me. Reaching, reaching with all my vigor. He says, stop trying, just believe. I say, you must marvel at my lack of trust. Have mercy on me, a sinner. He says, my peace I give to you. I can't help but thank You for the gift which I do not deserve. Help me to learn that salvation is not earned. Teach me to trust in you alone. Teach me to forgive as you have forgiven me. Teach me to set my wandering eyes upon you. He says, thirst and hunger for me and you will be satisfied. Jesus, you are alone of the river of grace that never dries up. When I thirst, I will run to your overflowing cup. And surely goodness, peace, and mercy shall fill me the rest of my days. So where are you at with Jesus? Where are you at with Jesus? Some of the conversations, um, even though the beginning of the conversations with my dad were about where he was at with Jesus, some of them would end with him requesting that I play How Great Thou Art. An amazing grace. I think my, na- my dad knew deep down inside that Jesus' death, life, life, death, and resurrection was a more sufficient work than his own work. So you might be sitting here today and you don't, you don't know Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So repent of your sins and believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day and that he is seated at the right hand of God. And maybe you're sitting here today and you want to stop running with that rock in your shoe. Take the rock out of your shoe. (laughs) Make Jesus the rock and object of your faith. Let's look to the cross of Christ. Let's look to the Lamb of God. King Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. I'll conclude with just a couple passages from Hebrews. Don't worry, they're short. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay hold aside, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And finally, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The big idea? Those who trust in themselves will stumble, but those who trust in Jesus will never be put to shame. Let us pray.